Welcome to the Change in Nature podcast. Inspiring people, inspiring change. For more episodes of this podcast, as well as retreats and offerings to help you change in nature, visit our website, changeinnature.org. So I'm here at Schumacher College with the founder, Satish Kumar, and Schumacher is a beautiful place, a hub for adult learning in deep ecology, transformational economy, and spirituality. And Satish is the co-founder and has lived a really extraordinary life. So Satish was a Jain monk at the age of nine, did a 8,000 mile pilgrimage a peace pilgrimage from India to Moscow to Paris, London and Washington and has spent 45 years in England being at the forefront of radical change. So thank you Satish for taking the time to be interviewed for this. And I'd like to start the interview with um, just asking kind of you're in your 80s now and you're still as passionate as ever what motivates you to keep going and what provides you most meaning in your life? What provides motivation and meaning in my life is relationship. Relationship is the mirror in which the self is reflected. And my relationship with myself my relationship with other people and more importantly my relationship with the natural world. When I am in nature I am inspired. When I am walking along the sea, coast path or along a river or among the bluebells in the spring or in the woods I feel inspired I feel refreshed, I feel invigorated and so every day I make sure that at least for one hour I go out in nature without a miss because that way I regain my energy. So age has not affected me so much because I'm always out in nature but also I'm always inspired by people, relationship with friends and relationship with people. Because quite often people start to get very isolated and disconnected and, uh, and then they get depressed and then they lose their energy and they lose their inspiration. So the way to remain inspired and energized and invigorated is to be in good relationship with living human beings not so much with computers and and the television screens and and various other media all this Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those things are fake relationships the real relationship is living human beings and living earth and living nature and that is what uh, is my experience and that is what uh, energizes me. And would you have advice for 
someone who was feeling isolated, who was feeling, um, you talk about the old story of separation and longing for something different, so longing to be in a real relationship and more real relationships. Yeah. What advice would you, would you give them? My advice to people is that when you want to talk to somebody and make a relationship, the first step is to listen and do not have any exterior or even hidden agenda. Relationship for the sake of relationship. Relationship for sharing, for caring, rather than for gaining. Gain is a byproduct. All the benefits you will get from relationship is a byproduct. The real thing is that you relate to other people for the sake of relationship. It has its intrinsic value. So you listen and you surrender your ego. You don't uh, have relationship to boost your ego, to impress anybody, to have power over other people or to control other people. If you have those agendas, then it will not be a right relationship. So when I am in relationship with other people, I try to practice humility and listen more than talk. Uh, and then they listen and I talk because I have listened. Because we are gifted with two ears and one mouth. And so we must have twice listening and only half speaking. So that is my formula. Have no agenda, no ulterior motive. Just friendship is the most precious gift that we can give to ourselves and give to other people. So friendship, for the sake of friendship, will free you from all fear and depression and loneliness and isolation and disconnection. Another one of your philosophies is the Trinity philosophy, soil, soul, society which for me very much embodies that real relationship, not just with people, but also with Earth. Do you want to say a bit more about Soil Soul Society? When I talk about relationship, I talk about a very comprehensive concept of relationship. First of all, our relationship has to be with the soil, with the Earth. At the moment, large part of humanity has become disconnected from the soil. Hardly people have time to go out and touch the soil. Even they think that dirt is dirty. I often say dirt is not dirty. The soap is dirty. Because soap has chemicals and other things. But the earth is very pure. So soil, our relationship with the soil, with the earth, with the plants, touching the soil, touching the earth, and feeling the earth, walking on the earth, leave your motor bicycle, or even your bicycle, or your car, or your train, behind, and walk on earth, walk on the soil. Soil is our mother. We are the children of the soil. Actually, we are soil. The word human comes from word humus, and humus in Latin means soil. So human beings are literally soil beings. If we get disconnected from the soil, we will have depression, we will have loneliness, 
we have isolation, we have disconnection, we have separation. The moment we are separated from the soil, we are separated from the paradise. We are separated from heaven. Soil is the source of life. And therefore, our relationship, healthy relationship with soil is the first step towards a joyful, happy, creative and enjoyable life. Then I also say, are you in touch with yourself? Know thyself. If you are not taking care of yourself and know yourself, how are you going to take care of anybody else? And know anybody else and therefore caring for yourself for your soul and developing your soul qualities that will also release you and free you from separation from yourself separation uh, from your own spirit and so I say take care of your soul and develop and evolve soulfully and and develop soul qualities what are the soul qualities Compassion, that's a soul quality. Kindness, when you are kind, you are happy. You are kind to somebody, you are happy. So love is also soul quality. Friendship, generosity or spirit, that's a soul quality. So we always must have time to meditate and contemplate on the soul qualities and take care of ourselves take care of ourselves that we are free from negative uh, emotions such as anger, fear, greed, jealousy, envy. Uh, all these things create discord from your own self. They are not so much harmful to others, they are harmful to yourself. And so minimize such negative emotions like anger and fear and greed and ego and maximize your soul qualities such as compassion, love, friendship, generosity and a sense of beauty, sense of celebration. People forget how to celebrate life. If you don't celebrate life, your soul will starve. If you want to feed your soul, nourish your soul, celebrate life. And then I say we also need our relationship with the society. Soil, soul and then society. Because we are members of a human society, human community. Sometimes we get bogged down in divisions and separation. And we say, oh, you are Muslim, I'm a Christian. You are a Hindu, I'm a Buddhist. You are a, a Russian, I'm an American. You are a Chinese, I'm a Japanese. All these separations. We are all human beings. Before I am a Hindu or an Indian or a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Russian or a Chinese or a Japanese or an American or an Englishman, whoever, all these are just diversity of humanity. We should celebrate diversity without forgetting the unity of humanity. Before we are Americans and, and Russians and Chinese and Indians, Buddhists, Hindus and Muslims, uh, capitalists or communists or liberals, blacks or whites, we are human beings. If we have that sense of one humanity and have a, a generosity to live in harmony with all living beings and all human beings, then we can create a good society. At the moment, our society is divided, 
divided, divided. Uh, we have uh, Israel and Palestine, we have a war in Syria, we have uh, um, uh, fundamentalist Muslims, we have um, um, uh, conflict in North uh, Korea and South Korea, we have conflict between India and Pakistan, we have conflict with Hindus and Muslims, we have conflict everywhere because we have forgotten that we are members of one human kind and one human society. So I say soil, soul, society. This is a new trinity for our time. Like the French had a trinity of egality, liberty, fraternity. That was okay at the time of French Revolution. But now in the age of holistic thinking, we need a new trinity for our time. And this new trinity is soil, which means our relationship with the natural world. Soul, which means our relationship with the imagination and with spirituality and with, uh, with uh, our, our, our inner landscape. The landscape of love and then also our relation with the human world so if we can create harmonious and healthy relationship on these three levels then there is no room for isolation and depression and disconnection and separation i'd really love to pick up on that maximizing soul qualities point you made because i'm sure a lot of people hearing that will be inspired to maximize their love, maximize their generosity, maximize their friendship with others. But at the same time, feeling anger, feeling um, aversion, feeling the more negative qualities of the mind. So how can you cultivate that celebration of life? How do you cultivate those, those qualities, those positive loving kindness aspirations yeah. that is so integral to this Yes, vision. yes. When you have something lost in your house and you want to find it, you have to focus on it. You have to look around and you ask somebody, have you seen where I left my watch or where I left my glasses or where I left my pen? Something, you have to ask, you have to look. In the same way, when you have lost your soul qualities, of friendship, of compassion, of love, of generosity, of friendship. You have to look, you have to contemplate, you have to think, you have to meditate on it. Every day you have to say, I want to cultivate more friendship. How can I be more loving? What can I do to be more kind? What can I do to be more compassionate? Every day, like every day you get hungry, you have breakfast, you have lunch, you have a dinner, you give time for your feeding the body. In the same way, you have to give time to feed and nourish your soul. We don't give any time. We say, people say, I don't have time for meditation. I don't have time for going for a walk. I don't have time to meet friends. I'm too busy with my smartphone and I emails and, and many other things. Relationship with other people and in that humility, say your relationship should be without ego. So you have to put attention to it. You have to contemplate on it. You have to meditate on it. You have to look for it. You have to think about it. You have to ask some other people, how can I cultivate my um, soul qualities? Like going to some retreats, going to some like Schumacher College. You come to Schumacher College for one week, a retreat, or you go to Findhorn for one week for retreat to take some time for yourself in order to cultivate your soul qualities. How do you cultivate 
soil qualities. How do you cultivate food? If you are a gardener and say, how do I cultivate uh, potatoes and carrots and onions and garlic and sweet corn and asparagus and strawberries and raspberries? You have to go in the garden. You have to have a, a fork. You have to have a spade. You have to have a, um, a seeds. You have to uh, go and find some seeds. You have to pay attention. In the same way, when you want to cultivate soul qualities, you have to pay attention. You read some beautiful poetry. You read some beautiful books. You go and meet some people who are spiritually oriented, who can help you. There are many, many ways. First step is to pay attention. Be aware. Want to cultivate soul qualities. If you don't want to cultivate soul qualities, you will never do it. But if you want to do it, you will find a way. Like when you want to garden, you learn. You go to a teacher say, how do I plant seeds? How do I make compost? How do I um, uh, um, uh, uh, harvest? Uh, uh, all these are skills and you learn. In the same way, you learn the skill of meditation. You learn the skill of communication. You learn the skills of loving. Loving is a skill. We don't teach our children in our schools and universities. We only teach them head knowledge, uh, information, facts. But we don't teach them how to be kind, how to be respectful, how to be loving, how to respect other people, how to be generous to other people, how to serve other people, be in the service of humanity, be the service of the earth. Don't teach in schools. Every school, every university should include the curriculum and syllabus about cultivating the soul qualities. That will be the way to go forward. At the moment we forget. We don't do anything about um, uh, teaching uh, young people to cultivate soul qualities. And when these have been cultivated, and that's a lifelong journey in itself, what, what about the relationship between those inner soul qualities and the outer path of action. So you're clearly someone who's, who has done incredible things and created incredible change from this 8,000 mile walk to being editor of Resurgence magazine. So it seems that there's these two qualities are in balance in a way, the kind of the inner and the outer. How, what's, what would you say the relationship between the two? The relationship between the inner and the outer are that they are both uh, two sides of the same coin. That's the relationship. Without the inner, outer cannot exist. Without the outer, inner cannot exist. Matter and spirit go together. Matter and meaning are inseparable. You cannot separate them. So the inner is the landscape of love. The outer is the landscape of land and the landscape of forest, and landscape of trees, and landscape of humanity, and landscape of our, our business, and our politics, and our economy. All these are outer uh, landscape. But all these outer landscapes require some motivation, right kind of uh, intention, right kind of spirit, right kind of thinking, a positive thinking, uh, and, and, and a kind of sense of serving. So even politics can be good politics if your intention and your motivation is to serve and care rather than control and power over other people. In the same way, business can be uh, a source of developing a spiritual practice and a spiritual uh, soul qualities if your intention 
and motivation behind business is to serve the community, meet the needs of the people, bring them food uh, and clothes and housing in a way so the people can live comfortably and happily. And not just my money, my profit, more money, more profit, um, become bigger and bigger uh, company. If that is not your motivation, but motivation is to serve the humanity and the community, then even business can be a source of um, uh, uh, soul qualities. And therefore, uh, we don't have to separate the inner and the outer. They are two aspects of one single reality. If our motivation, our intention, our feelings, our thinking inside our heart is not right, our outer action will not be right. And if outer action is affecting our inner psychology and inner landscape, that will also not be right. So do not engage in any outer activity which will damage your inner landscape of love and friendship and generosity and kindness and compassion. And do not do anything outside without those qualities of kindness and compassion and friendship and generosity in your heart. If these two things go together, like dancing bit of two, it takes two to tango. So you tango between the outer and the inner. It's a tango dance of inner and outer. You cannot have tango with one person. You have to have two persons particularly male and female, masculine and feminine. In the same way, outer and inner are two aspects. The outer is masculine, inner is feminine. And when we, they dance together, there's a beautiful life. And can I ask, because sometimes the tango goes a bit wrong and people slip up on each other and, and there's a bit of a muddle. And for those times when you really want to serve, and you want to give back and you want to do something that benefits others but you just you can just get into a bit of a muddle you don't know how to do it or what to do like what should be my vision what how should i spend and use my energy in the most effective way and what strikes me about your journey is is the title of your autobiography no destination mm. Because a lot of the time people try and work this out in their heads mm. of what they should do. And I think what's very clear from your story is you seem to be very receptive mm. and things kind of come your way. And mm. when they come your way, you, you kind of act accordingly. Yeah. The best way to serve others is to focus on it and seek help. There is no destination. As my book title says, there is no destination. Life is in the here and now. Whatever you are doing, whatever way you are acting now, your action itself has its own intrinsic quality. The result of your action, the outcome of your action, the product, produce or product of your action is only a byproduct. Outcome is only a byproduct. The action itself has to be consistent. And, uh, and has integrity and has uh, wholeness and has uh, uh, completeness in itself. So I would suggest to people do not focus on the results. This is why I called my book No Destination, No Result, No Outcome. That is only whatever happens still is, uh, is a milestone in the next stage of your life. So rather than focusing on the result, focus on the action, the process of your work, the way you do it. 
in, in Chinese philosophy, Lao Tzu was the great philosopher. And he called his philosophy Tao, which means the way, the process, the action itself, not the result, not the arrival. Uh, when you are a pilgrim, arrival is not so important. It's a pilgrimage, making the pilgrimage step by step. So life is not at the end somewhere. Life is now, how we live every day. And so um, in order to do that, you need to seek help as well. When I was walking around the world, I was seeking help from other people. I was walking without any money. And, and, uh, and I changed eight pairs of shoes. People helped me. So if you have humility and if you are uh, uh, free of uh, doubts and fears and, and anxiety and you just accept whatever comes to you with open heart, then universe is benevolent. Universe will help you. Like when you plant one seed, the moment you plant the seed, universe comes to help you. Sun says, I'll help you. The rain says, I'll help you. The soil says, I'll help you. The earthworm says, I'll help you. They all help and the, your one seed which you planted becomes a tree and you get thousand apples. How does that happen? Your action. So you have to act. Then universe will help. Then other people will help. But if you don't do anything, then how can anybody help? So my um, approach has been in my life to do something what you can, then other people will help. Just reflecting on that, it seems what's required yeah. is faith and courage. So for example, your walk with no money and no destination and being put in situations where you really have to stick to those those principles and it takes a lot of courage and it it takes a lot of determination how important are those qualities for people living this life <clears throat> whatever action you are taking you need to be free of fear and the moment you are free of fear you start to cultivate trust trust is your greatest treasure Trust is your greatest source of courage and determination. If you don't trust the world, if you don't trust yourself, you don't, don't trust other people, you will be a full of fear. So the antidote to fear is trust. Trust yourself, trust the world, trust other people, trust the universe. Something will happen. So trust is, is the key. In my walk around the world, I had lots of hardships. Many days, I did not get any food. I had a lot of blisters. Um, uh, I had lots of other hardships and difficulties. I embraced them. I say, hardship, welcome. Problems, welcome. Because hardship and problems make me stronger. What does not kill you makes you strong. That's a Nitsa said. So, um, pe people should not be afraid of hardship. In the modern times, we are always, everything should be easy. Everything should be pain-free. They should have no pain. And when you give, when a mother gives birth to a child, can you give birth to a child without pain, without labor pain? You cannot. And that is the most important thing in the whole life. The being born and giving birth, the most important thing, and it's difficult. In the same way, 
in many other parts of life, you will face difficulty. Welcome difficulties because you have been endowed with wisdom and with imagination and with the with the knowledge of how to deal with problem when it comes. So don't have to anticipate problems before they come. But when they come, be ready and use your imagination. See that problem as an opportunity to use your imagination and, and, and use your courage and use your strength to deal with the problem. But don't think that life can be without problems. A living life, a living body always has pain. Uh, only a living body can have headache. Only a living heart can have sorrow. A dead body will not have headache and a dead heart will not have a sorrow. So I urge people not to be afraid of problems and difficulties and hardships. Embrace them and see them as opportunities to do something. And then you grow through that. In terms of growth, you said that reverence is key to understanding our place in the world. How important is reverence for growth? It was Albert Schweitzer who used the term reverence for life. And reverence for me is a very beautiful word. And when reverence uh, comes to your heart, you are humble. And then you are human. Humanity and humility go together. And, and without reverence to other people, to life, to nature, to trees, to animals, to our ancestors, to our history, all the gifts that we have received from our ancestors, if we don't have reverence for them, then we will not be humble. At the moment, uh, in our modern world, uh, we are often encouraged and taught to have ego and, uh, and I can do it, the arrogance, the kind of uh, pride, uh, all these things. I think these are not such good soul qualities. We need to cultivate reverence and reverence for the earth and reverence, humility for nature. That is the key. So um, in ecological uh, sphere, I always talk about reverential ecology. Uh, there is a shallow ecology in which we say, I will look after nature because nature is a resource for the economy. I will look after trees because they give me oxygen. I will look after apple trees because they give me fruit or mango trees, they give me mangoes. That's a utilitarian shallow ecology. You use nature for your benefit. You value nature only in terms of nature's usefulness to humans. That's a shallow ecology. Then the deep ecology would go a step further and they will say nature has intrinsic value. Nature is good not because it's useful to humans, but nature is good in itself. Like humans have rights, we call it human rights. In the same way, nature has rights and we can call that nature rights, rights of nature. That's a deep ecology, intrinsic value of nature. But then the third step is reverential ecology, in which you say not only nature has intrinsic value, but nature is sacred. Nature is 
to be revered. I revere nature because nature is sacred. Nature is divine. Nature has a, a kind of the, the the divinity is not somewhere behind the clouds uh, in in heaven somewhere away. Everything. The flowers, the bluebells, the daffodils, the roses, the apple trees, the mango trees, the banana trees, um, the, the grain, everything what we have is sacred. The river is sacred. The oceans are sacred. So when you have that sense of the sacred, then you can cultivate reverence for life. And that reverence is, is the most beautiful um, philosophy uh, for our time. And when we have a reverence, we will not pollute uh, the air, will not pollute the water, will not pollute soil, will not waste uh, our resources because these resources are sacred, they are precious, they are a gift. Will you waste gifts? Will you throw away your gifts? Nature's gift is food and if you throw away your food we are uh, disrespecting uh, and, and uh, uh, discarding uh, the reverential approach to nature and so uh, reverence for nature and reverence for people and reverence for life is the key in order to live a life of harmony and peace and joy. And therefore reverential ecology is my um, uh, kind of gift to uh, English language. So with nature being such a gift, how important is gratitude and cultivating gratitude to show your appreciation for, for the gifts that we are given? Yes. Then, once you have developed reverence for life, reverence for nature, reverence for other people, then in, from that reverence emerges a sense of gratitude. Because when you have reverence, you receive the gift from the soil, you receive the gift from animals, you receive the gift from the trees, you receive the gift from other people, your parents, your friends, your colleagues, you accept gift with gratitude, not as your right. You don't take nature for granted. You don't take your family for granted. You don't take your wife and husband for granted. You don't take your friends for granted. You don't take anything for granted. Everything what we are receiving is a gift and therefore you accept it with gratitude. You express your gratitude. You say, thank you. Thank you trees for giving me fruit. Thank you, soil, for growing my food. Uh, thank you, river, for bringing me water. Thank you, rain, for bringing me water. Thank you, sunshine. Thank you, my friends. Thank you, my mother, for giving me birth. Thank you, my father, for bringing me in this world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I think this thank you uh, and the gratitude is the most beautiful word in English language. Every moment I feel a sense of gratitude. I will not be speaking this English language if it was not a gift from many, many wonderful poets and writers and linguists like Shakespeare and many others. I will not be speaking. I will not be having any philosophy without all the great philosophers that I have read. The Buddha, Lao Tzu, Jesus Christ and Spinoza and many, many others. We will not have anything in the world today if the science was not giving us so much understanding of the world. So I am grateful to scientists. I am grateful to our ancestors, philosophers and religious teachers and my parents. From the very beginning of life. From the beginning of Big Bang, we have received all the evolution as our gift. 
and therefore we have to have a gratitude. Gratitude is the most beautiful concept that humanity can have. And I'm always grateful for the gifts of life that I receive every day. So joyful hearing you speak and I'm just wondering and connecting that to what you said earlier about celebration of life. Yeah. Would you say gratitude is the key to celebrating life? To celebrate life, you need to have gratitude. Because without gratitude, how can you celebrate? Arrogance, taking things for granted, you don't, you don't respect, you don't revere. And without reverence and without gratitude, you cannot celebrate. So I always say, do not worry too much about the past. Learn from the past, but let it go. Don't worry too much about the future either, because future has not yet come. You can plan a little bit about the future, but 80% of your attention, 70 or 80% of your attention should be in the present moment. And how do you pay attention to your present moment? By celebrating now, celebrating this moment. This is the most precious moment. This moment will never come again. And what a wonderful thing it is. The sun is shining. The trees are full of leaves. And I'm sitting with my friends. And I'm speaking to my friends. This is the most precious moment. So the power of now, as Eckhart Tolle has talked about, has to be understood and realized. The moment you realize, you are happy. And you celebrate it. You give thanks. You express gratitude. And you celebrate. So celebration, we have forgotten. People have forgotten how to celebrate the present moment. They're always working for tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I'll get rich tomorrow. I'll have salary tomorrow. I will be successful tomorrow. I'll have my book published tomorrow. I will get power tomorrow. I'll be this tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And you forget today. Tomorrow is today. Celebrate today, now. Enjoy your time now. That is the most important thing. I just want to come back to what you said about love, that how important love is, both for yourself, for your soul, for soil, for earth, but also in that sense of community. <clears throat> to create a community, what do you need? What are the ingredients for creating a community? The most important ingredient is love. And love is all. Love is not something logical, it's magical. When you are loving, you are accepting the other person as the other person is. Absolutely and unconditionally. The moment you start to have expectations, from other people, you are departing from the sphere of love because expectations discards love. So uh, in order to make a community, you have to accept other members of your community, whether it's your family or whether it is a parliament or whether it's a business or whether it's a school or a college or a hospital or wherever you are. You accept other people as they are. 
unconditionally and absolutely. You accept your wife and husband unconditionally and absolutely. That's a community. In the same way you do the other uh, people as well. So for me, that unconditional and absolute acceptance without any expectations, because expectations always bring disappointment. But things cannot work out, will never work out as you expect. And then you are disappointed. But if you have no expectations and you accept things as they come, then it's love. Then you participate in the process of transformation. Your participation is not expectation, but your action. You participate in the process of change, transformation, evolution, uh, growth, in relationship, in friendship, in generosity, in reverence, in kindness, all those things. But love is the ground. Love is the ground from which all the other qualities of soul will grow. If you have no love, no acceptance, then you are always sitting in judgment, you are sitting in criticism, you are comparing your uh, um, situation with other situations, or you are comparing a person with other person, you are complaining, so criticizing, complaining, and comparing. These are the three um, problems uh, which uh, uh, are the obstacles to love. <clears throat> so you drop your expectations, no criticism, no complaining, no comparing, total acceptance. That's a magical. Love is all. Love is the answer to all questions. And if you had one piece of advice for an ordinary person to live an extraordinary life, what would that be? <clears throat> one advice I would give to everybody is that you have been given two hands. These two hands are a great gift to you from nature. And these two hands have an amazing power of transformation. Learn a skill to use your hands. Be it pottery, be it gardening, be it painting, be it building. Something where you can be a maker and not simply a consumer. Your hands will make you a maker. If you don't use your hands, you are only a consumer. Machines will make everything and you just consume. You consume food which is cooked by machines and bought in uh, supermarkets, ready-made meals. And your clothes are made by machines in Bangladesh or Vietnam or China or some faraway country, cheap labor. Uh, in a, uh, sweatshops, your shoes are made somewhere, uh, your plates and, and cutlery and crockery all made somewhere. People don't make anything. And when we don't make anything, we are, we are alienated from ourselves. So in order to overcome that alienation and find a sense of fulfillment and a sense of accomplishment that I can write a poem, 
I can paint a picture, I can build a house, I can plant a tree, I can grow food, I can cook food, I can make a table, I can mend something, I can use my hands. That confidence you will gain will be amazing. So I suggest everybody, if you don't know a skill, become an apprentice, even for the weekend, even in the evening. If you are working five days a week, perhaps negotiate with your company and business and office and go four days a week and learn one day a week a new skill of making. Not making to produce something, but making for the sake of making, for the sake of enjoying the making. Like a painter paints to enjoy the painting and, and uh, um, a singer sings to enjoy the singing, like uh, um, uh, John Lennon or uh, Bob Dylan or somebody sing because they enjoy singing. So in the same way, John Byers was a singer and she sang to sing. In the same way, a dancer dances to dance. So a maker makes something for the sake of, for the joy of, for the celebration of making. And when you make something, something will be produced and that will be also wonderful. You will have a good pot, you have a good garden, you have a good kitchen, you have good food, you have something good. And so my advice would be to learn something to make. Thank you, Satish. Great place to end. And I really, um, really appreciate your time and your passion and your energy and your positivity is really infectious. And it, thank you. It makes me feel that anything is possible. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. You have been listening to the Change in Nature podcast. Inspiring people, inspiring change. For more episodes of this podcast, as well as retreats and offerings to help you change in nature, visit our website, changeinnature.org.